Praise the Lord. Happy birthday, church. Sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? Many believe that the church was actually birthed on Pentecost, even though they came to salvation in... Where did the disciples get saved? When? John chapter 20. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That's when the church was saved. When we receive the Holy Spirit, salvation comes in that move and that surrender to Jesus. I want you to turn your Bibles. I said happy birthday because millions around the world are celebrating the birth of the church today. And we are too in this room. Praise the Lord. Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 23. I want us to take a look at the significance of the feasts of the Lord. They're not just Jewish feasts. Unfortunately, we've lost so much Jewish rich heritage in the body of Christ today. That's why I'm just so grateful that Jan and I had the wonderful privilege of almost three decades, over three decades living overseas. And most of that was in either Jerusalem, Israel or in Haifa, Israel. And we always celebrated the feasts of the Lord and saw the significance of Jesus' fulfillment within the feasts. Leviticus 23. I want to read verses 9 through 11. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest... Then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. And he shall do it on the day after the Sabbath, which was a Sunday, the first day of the week, Yom Rishon, today. And the priest shall wave it. Verses 15 and 16. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. So count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. I want to pray, but I've asked uh, uh, Carl if he could blow the shofar for us. I'm having a little difficulty with... uh, the left side of the right side of my mouth this morning, but I'm going to have. Here was another drum and bugle corps. Yes, I marched in the Cavaliers. He marched in the Blue Devils out in California. So I asked him if he could blow the shofar for us, and then I'll pray and we'll begin. Father, we're just grateful that you are sounding an alarm in heaven. You are wanting to remind your people of how significant this day was 2,000 years ago. The disciples had been born again. They had received the Holy Spirit in that John 20 encounter with Jesus. But on this day, something different happened. And I pray, oh God, that something different would happen in us 
today. The day after the Sabbath and after seven weeks of Sabbaths on the day after. On the day today. Pentecost. Shavuot. Weeks. Your spirit was poured out. God, you are welcome. You are welcome in this place, Lord. Amen. The three solemn feasts of the Lord. Solemn feasts of the Lord. Passover or unleavened bread. Shavuot or feast of weeks. And Sukkot, tabernacles. Our above passage in Leviticus describes the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot. And it's the second of these three major solemn assemblies. And what was amazing is that in these celebrations, these three throughout the entire year, all male men, male men, all male men, all humans that were male species, they were all required to come up to Jerusalem, no matter what part of the world they were in, to travel to Jerusalem, to attend, and to celebrate this feast. And the feast gets its name from the fact that it starts seven weeks or 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits connected with Passover. And that's why this feast is known in Greek as Pentecost or 50. Now, all three of these solemn feasts required that there be an offering of first fruits unto the Lord, made at the temple to express thanksgiving for God's provision. So the first fruits presented at Passover was what? The barley harvest. The first fruits at Shavuot or Pentecost or weeks was the wheat harvest. And then the first fruits presented at Tabernacles involved offerings of olive and grapes. And since the Feast of Weeks was one of the harvest feasts, the Jewish people were commanded to present a new offering of grain to the Lord. They were also required to offer seven lambs without blemish and one bull and two rams. But when they harvested their fields, they were commanded to leave the corners of the fields untouched as a way of providing for the poor and the strangers who would go through the fields and glean them. And like other feasts of the Lord, the Feast of Weeks foreshadows the coming of Messiah and his ministry among men. And every one of the seven feasts of the Lord signifies an important aspect of God's plan of redemption through Jesus. Unfortunately, I, I feel kind of sad that most of the Gentile church throughout the world has really removed these celebrations of the Lord from our celebrations within the church life today. They were given by the Lord. When Jesus was crucified at the, as the Passover lamb, he rose from the dead at the Feast of First Fruits. And following his resurrection, what happened? Jesus spent 40 days teaching his disciples before he ascended into heaven. And 50 days after his resurrection and ascension, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to empower the disciples for ministry. The Holy Spirit arrived in a marvelous way and was poured out on the believers 
in Jerusalem on that day of Shavuot or Pentecost. And on that Pentecost day, the first fruits of the new covenant and of the church were gathered by Messiah Jesus as 3,000 heard Peter present the gospel after he was empowered by the Holy Spirit just a few minutes before. Amazing story. What a miracle that took place on this day of Pentecost. But it hasn't stopped. That day, that harvest continues. People are being saved all around the world. It doesn't make headline news. It'll never make secular news. Well, I shouldn't prophesy that. I believe it's going to make headline news again. It did that day in Jerusalem, and it's going to happen again. In fact, in Tennessee, there's tremendous revival taking place, and it's in the news there. But there's more good news on the horizon. There's another harvest yet to come. And God's going to turn his attention toward his Jewish people in the land that he gave their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the land of promise, it's going to happen. All Israel shall be saved. Oh, that's interesting. All Israel shall be saved. How, how novel. If all of heaven rejoices over one sinner turning to God, what do you think it's going to be like when all Israel gets saved? It's going to be a big deal, folks. Eye is not seen nor ear heard. It hasn't even entered into the hearts of men what God has prepared for those who love him. And there's going to be a love for God that Israel's going to come to and God's going to finally, just like Joseph, he's going to reveal himself to his family and there's going to be both weeping and rejoicing. What a day that's going to be when Jesus reveals himself to his family and the awe and wonder you were the one that I taught against. I hated you, but you're the Messiah. What revelation. Wow. What a day that's going to be. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 24. Sorry if I get a little excited after living in Israel 26 years when I think about all Israel getting saved and I see the hardness of hearts. I see the cleaving to religious ways. Of, of all three of the monotheistic religions, the Muslims are religious, the Jews are religious, and the Christians are religious, and it's preventing them from relationship because religion always prevents from relationship, always. Luke 24, in verse 44, Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. This is my prayer this morning, that God might open our understanding that we might comprehend the scriptures in a greater depth. So in verse 44, he's telling that he's the Messiah, 
that the law of Moses, that the prophets and the Psalms spoke of. In verses 45 through 47, powerful, wonderful scripture, he says, thus it is written in verse 46, it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Now catch this. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. But Terry, wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. He's telling them to wait for the promise of the Father. Verses 15, 51, he ascends into heaven 10 days before on Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. And now let's turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, this is what we're celebrating today, the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. No, let's start in verse 5. Verse 4, there we go. I'll get it. Praise God for help from the brethren. And being assembled together with them. Don't you like that? He's right here with us. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In verse 5, Jesus explained the promise of the Father, calling it the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And then look to verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That word power is so strategic. In Greek, it's the word dunamis, but from it, we get the word dynamite. In the Holy Spirit, we have miraculous, explosive power. And dynamo, which is a sustaining power to endure in difficult circumstances. Listen, beloved, a lot of the church today needs the dynamo because they're under persecution as we've looked at in weeks past. They need dynamo, sustaining power. When Johnny Erickson shared her testimony of diving into a swimming pool three feet deep and paralyzed, she said, it's the dynamo power of God that is sustaining me that I can still rejoice in this wheelchair. It's a sustaining power to endure. How we need that in our day. And the disciples were told to preach the gospel and to make disciples. But Jesus said, don't go without the power. You cannot do my will in your own strength. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says that you and I are the temple of God. The residence of God, Holy Spirit. He takes residence in us when we fully embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord. He helps us understand God's word. He convicts us of sin. What a ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. He convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. 
He helps us understand the scriptures. He sensitizes our conscience. And he releases God's love and joy into our hearts. Before this upper room event, the disciples, as I said in the onset, were already born again. John 20, 22, when Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. That's when the disciples were saved. The Holy Spirit moves into our lives at the moment of salvation. In Greek, he's called the paraclete, which means one called alongside to help. Paraclete has a sevenfold functional meaning. Comforter, counselor, strengthener, intercessor. He's the standby. He's the advocate. And he's the helper. Folks, you can't get much better than that. That's God, the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, the promise of the Father that Jesus told the men to wait for was not another blessing for them as much as it was a baptism of service for the benefit of others. The Holy Spirit comes upon us. He empowers us. He equips us and anoints us to minister like Jesus did. In John 4.14, Jesus said, but the water that I shall give will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. So Jesus equates the new birth, there's the John 20, the new birth to a fountain of living water that springs up within us, leading to everlasting life. But also the Holy Spirit is called rivers of living water. In John 7, 38, Jesus said, He who believes in me, as the scriptures has said, now out of his heart flow rivers of living water, which is in contrast to a fountain. So the fountain began in the disciples in John chapter 20. New birth happened. Received the Holy Spirit. But now in Acts, a river starts to flow. When God's spirit comes upon us, the fountain of salvation within us is meant to become a river that flows out from us. Now, let's look at Acts chapter 2. Acts 2. Acts 2. Here we'll start with verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. On the day of Pentecost, they were obedient. They were waiting for the promise of the Father. 
And it says the Holy Spirit settled on each of them like tongues of fire. And then they spoke with other or different tongues. Can you imagine 120 voices being lifted up together in a noticeable sound? Now, at that feast, there were also a multitude of Jews. Remember, as I said, all males were required to gather to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. And this was the second major feast of the year. Shavuot, Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. Now, when this sound came, multitudes were there. All of a sudden, it says that a number of them began to hear this sound and amazingly, they were hearing their own language from the, all the different countries that they had come from. And they were amazed. Look at verse 6 through 8. And then when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. Imagine this. This wasn't just a couple of people. The multitude came together and were confused. Because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Verse 7, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? And what were they hearing? Verse 11, we hear them speaking the wonderful works of God in our own tongues. Friends, here was the great miracle of Pentecost. What a miracle. How absolutely amazing is God. They were astounded. But right after that, some started mocking. When the miraculous is on display, there will be mockers. Always have been, always will be. Oh, they're just drunk with wine. You see, when we don't understand the miraculous, our first tendency is to criticize. My prayer is that we will not mock that which we do not understand. Lest we get in trouble with God, if it's a God thing that we don't understand. The Holy Spirit came upon the disciples to empower them to boldly evangelize without their even knowing it. Here they are just speaking in an unknown tongue. God supernaturally is giving an exalting of God, speaking wonderful things of God, and these different languages are understanding that they, they're blown away with what's happening. What a miracle. The believers didn't even realize that in their obedience to allowing God to take their tongue, God was using their tongue in a dynamic way. So much so that a disturbance happened. Peter goes out, he calms the crowd, he preaches a message and 3,000 get saved. Now look at the time limit of when this happened. When the spirit came upon them, they heard confusion Peter goes out, addresses them, and multitudes come in. It was a short window of time. Friends, I want you to really hear this. 
the public ministry of Jesus and the public ministry of the early church both began with a life-changing encounter with God, Holy Spirit. Both. Both. The public ministry of Jesus and the public ministry of the early church had its beginning with an encounter, with a miraculous encounter of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus was baptized, it's as though they saw a dove come out of heaven. Wow. In fact, the Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism, and what did Jesus say? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news, to heal the brokenhearted, and to set captives free. The power of the Spirit in Jesus' life authorized and anointed him to preach God's kingdom and to demonstrate the kingdom. How? By healing the sick, by casting out demons, by having words of knowledge, words of wisdom, words of understanding. Being able to tell people about their life that nobody else could know except God. He had the power to cast out demons. He had the power to raise the dead. And that same power was given to the disciples in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2. Friends, Jesus is the prototype of the spirit-filled, spirit-empowered life. He's the prototype. And the book of Acts tells us about his disciples receiving what Jesus had so that they could do what Jesus did. I need to repeat that. We need to receive. We need to receive what Jesus had in order that we can do what Jesus did. And we can see from several places in the book of Acts, especially like Acts 19, that was, it was natural and normal in the early church for believers to receive the empowering of the Holy Spirit. But what about today? Do believers speak in tongues today? Yes, millions do. Not just a few, millions most churches, however, do not include tongues in their large gatherings, but they might in smaller gatherings like home groups. And there are some Baptist churches that believe that the gifts died out with the apostles. And not just the Baptists, many denominations believe that they're not for today. But I have news for you. I have good news for you. The leaders at Highland believe that all the gifts of the Spirit are for today. That's a praise the Lord. Some people ask, well, why do we have to speak in tongues? Well, we don't have to. We get to. We get to. It's a marvelous blessing to, play, to pray in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Spirit with a Spirit-inspired unknown tongue to unknown to us tongue builds up our inner man and it tunes us with the spirit of God so that our thoughts and prayers can become synchronized with his. 
Jude verse 20 says, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in tongues builds up our faith. Years ago in our five, six years ago in in one of our ABFs, I shared about that terrible misfortune that I had when I got arrested at the Mexican-Texas border and was put into a Mexican jail for three days. Ha! Oh, you didn't even... uh, I shared it in a few places. I'll need to share it here sometime. I'll tell you, the sustaining power, the dynamo power of God that built my faith was praying in an unknown tongue in that jail. Especially when I found out I was facing possibly six years in a Mexican prison. And I felt for sure God didn't call me to prison ministry in Mexico. (laughs) But I, (laughs) my wife, I would have been good at it. God bless you. I paced that cell back and forth and I didn't know how to pray. I ran out of English. Hello. And I didn't know Spanish. So man, I stepped right into that gift of tongues. And it began to build my faith. It began to give me trust. When fear started gripping my soul as I prayed in the spirit, I felt relief. It's an incredible gift of the spirit. And it was central in the feast of Shavuot, the feast of Pentecost. I like how Oral Roberts used to call it a personal prayer language. I like that. It's a powerful prayer tool that opens the door for us to use the other gifts of the spirit more easily. I tell you, as I prayed in tongues in that Mexican jail, my faith began to well up, even though I was ready. Okay, maybe you have called me to something that totally shocks me and is abhorrent to my thought. God, I've already said yes to anything you want to write on the check. My signature is already there. I have found that yielding my tongue to God is one of the greatest releases I can surrender. Have you ever wondered why they didn't see hearts of fire or hands of fire or eyes of fire? Or ears of fire. They saw tongues of fire. Why a tongue? Because if God can get control of our tongue, James says, we will have mastered and bridled our entire body. God wants our tongue. Because if he can get our tongue, he's got all of us. He's got it all. Because with our tongue, we bless God and we curse. We speak good things and we speak bad. God is after the tongue. And that's the center element of this feast. He's after our tongue. It says that they spoke with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. So he gives the prayer language, but we have to use our mouth and our lips to proclaim it. What about interpreting an unknown tongue or a personal prayer language? 
Well, 1 Corinthians 14, 2 says that an unknown tongue is directed to God. It doesn't need to be interpreted. The Holy Spirit knows the heart and the will of God, and he prays through us accordingly. But there is also another operation of this gift of tongues, as mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, 10, and it's called different kinds of tongues. Now, there's difference. An unknown tongue and a different kind of tongue. Well, what's the difference between these two? The direction in which they come from and where it goes. That's the difference. The gift of tongues can flow in two different directions, from us to God, there's the prayer language, and from God to us, a message from the Spirit. Who initiates the communication and to whom is it directed? The prayer language or other or unknown tongue is from us to God. We use it in prayer. We use it in worship. I used it in that Mexican jail a lot. It strengthens us. It builds up our inner man. It gave me, it increased the gift of faith in me when I had no faith. We initiate this. It doesn't need to be interpreted because it initiates from us. It's the gift of God flowing through us back to God. However, the other operation of tongues, the different kinds of tongues is from God to us. And its purpose is to edify the whole church. It's initiated by God. Therefore, it happens in public gatherings and must be interpreted to bring proper order. I want us to be in a place of where we are welcoming a fresh move of God today. Now, that was very weak. A few of us are looking for a fresh touch of God. I, I have to believe, even though you may not have confessed it, that you really want a fresh touch of God. Amen. Listen, most of us in this room are in the fourth quarter of life. Except, our table. Except this table. <laughs> Hallelujah. They're still in the first quarter and fourth yeah. quarter. And I know I won't have any volunteers for the final two minutes. If there was ever a time that we wanted to finish well, it's at a latter stage of life. I want to take that scripture that my last half is better than my former beginning. We need to welcome a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit today on this special feast of the Lord. We need to really be open now, some of us may have been hurt. We may have been wounded. Listen, I've known a number of charismatics or Pentecostals that have been insensitive. And there's even false doctrine out there that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. Absolute garbage. And there have been people hurt and wounded. I'm going to just say, I'm sorry. You needed to hear that from a person that may have hurt you by being too forceful with this gift. But I know the reason why they shared it so 
invigorously is because it's meant so much to them. But I apologize on all the hurt and all the misunderstanding. I remember it was on a shovel out Sunday morning in Jerusalem that I was asked to speak at a, at a shovel out conference and I gave a message on the filling of the Holy Spirit at the garden tomb. 3,400 people were crammed into that garden and I was commissioned to speak on this and I'll tell you, I wept in front of these people asking their forgiveness. Because too many that have this gift do not have the wisdom to be able to share it properly. So I want to just encourage you, let the Lord heal your bad memories of anyone trying to force anything on you. This is a gift freely given from God. No character requirement is necessary because it's a gift. We don't earn this. We get it. I pray that we'd really invite the Holy Spirit to come into our midst. It's the, God, it's the person of the Godhead we know the least about. We know a lot about Jesus. We know little about the Father. We know hardly anything about Holy Spirit. And yet he wanted to make himself known on this feast day. He wants to come upon us with a fresh boldness where we're not ashamed. You know, the spirit of intimidation is all over the land. We've seen in the news of what's happening to various churches around the country. Makes us grateful that we're in Texas, not in California or Oregon. But God wants a fresh boldness to come upon us that we're not fearful. In Acts 4, the disciples were filled with the Spirit again and received fresh boldness. Man, do we ever need that? Any gift that God considers worth giving is worth our seeking after. And the power of the Spirit is not getting more of Jesus. It's allowing Jesus to get more of me. A greater surrender, a greater abandonment. It's a deeper consecration to the Lord, a surrendering to his service, a further dying to self so that he can live through us in holiness and in power. At the close of all four of the gospels, Jesus told the disciples, preach the gospel, make disciples, feed his lambs and care for his sheep. He was commanding them to share the good news of the gospel and to make disciples. But he said, don't go without the power. We're in the same situation today as the disciples were. We hear the command to preach. We know that we are to make disciples and we want to obey. But we need his dunamis power and we need his dynamo power so that we can be effective and make a difference. Let's pray. Lord, we're a needy people today. We're more needy than we're even aware of.
And we need Jesus to increase. Lord, I just think of what your cousin, John the Baptist, Jesus. John said, he must increase. But I must decrease. And Lord, at, at the core of this gift is that greater surrender to having a longing desire for Jesus to increase in my life. That you might be seen, that you might be recognized, that you might be known, and that we might have the boldness to make that proclamation, to live that testimony. So Lord, here we are, 2,000 years after that first Pentecost, that infamous Shavuot, Thank you for the miracle that came when your people were simply obedient. They stepped right into what you had for them and the miracle started beginning. Lord, I pray that we'd all step into what you have for us. I pray that throughout the rest of this day, we'd be open and sensitive and yielded and surrendered to the power of Holy Spirit God who lives inside of us. Receive the Holy Spirit is what Jesus said 2,000 years ago. And Lord, you're saying the same words today. Receive the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we just welcome the power, the dunamis power and the dynamo power that not only it has the power to save us. It has the power to empower us. And Lord, we're going to need power in these last days. We're going to need power of resistance. We're going to need a power to say no to the world, the flesh, and the devil. The power to say yes to God in spite of the circumstance and situation. So Lord, would you equip us now for what lies ahead? I pray for a fresh baptism of your spirit and infilling of your spirit empowering of your spirit today and Lord I pray that you would apply the coal to our lips as well even as Isaiah had that purging Lord it begins in the heart and I pray that you'd purge our hearts from every element of resistance to all of the gifts of God all of the gifts of God Holy Spirit And I pray for a strengthening and a renewing that from this day forward, we could go forth in fresh power, in fresh anointing, solely for the sake that Jesus might be more glorified. So I thank you for this day, for this opportunity, and for this fresh commissioning to go forth in the power of the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, next week, food. Bless you.